Today's show is brought to you by MongoDB. No one wants to manage databases if they can avoid it. That's why MongoDB made MongoDB Atlas, a global cloud database service that runs on AWS, GCP, and Azure. You can deploy a fully managed MongoDB database in minutes with just a few clicks or API calls. MongoDB Atlas automates deployment, updates, scaling, and more so that you can focus on your application instead of taking care of your database. You can get started for free at mongodb.com atlas. If you're already running a MongoDB deployment, Atlas has a live migration service, so you can migrate it easily with minimal downtime, then get back to what matters. Stop managing your database and start using MongoDB Atlas. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well. We are continuing to move through February, the year, uh, first year of the decade, 2020, continues to roll by. Hope everybody's doing well. Let's dive right into Cloud News of the Week. A couple of interesting announcements and uh, some things of interest to a lot of different people. First one is a, uh, kind of a continuation of, of cloud earnings numbers coming out. Uh, we talked about uh, Google being uh, you know, around 2 point something for the quarter, 2 point something billion for the quarter, putting them around uh, 8.9 billion or so. Um, Amazon AWS announcing around a $10 billion quarter, putting them around $40 billion annually. Uh, Microsoft uh, coming in around 20-something billion. Um, their numbers are, again, we talked about um, trying to sort those out. And then Alibaba announced their cloud earnings numbers. Alibaba Cloud uh, announcing about a billion and a half dollar quarter, uh, about 62% growth, so puts them around a uh, $6 billion cloud. Um, so very interesting to sort of see all the major clouds now. Um, IBM announced around $21 billion uh, as an annual revenue number. Microsoft around $25 or $30 billion. Uh, Google, I'm sorry, uh, AWS around $40 billion. Google around $10 billion. And Alibaba around $6 billion. So, you know, the, the five big clouds uh, kind of all, you know, beginning to separate themselves a little bit, uh, some of the biggers from the smallers. But it is always interesting to sort of track that, see where their growth is. I do want to do a little bit of homework and look at different growth rates at different uh, at different revenue numbers. But uh, always good to see more and more um, transparency from the different cloud providers. Uh, second thing that will be of interest to some people, uh, especially those who kind of are watching what's going on in the, the bigger clouds and some of the more critical clouds, uh, the U.S. federal courts have put a temporary hold on the JEDI contract. The JEDI contract was the one that uh, a lot of controversy around uh, for the U.S. Department of Defense. Um, you know, about a $10 billion contract over 10 years uh, was awarded to Microsoft Azure. Uh, as expected, Amazon and AWS have sort of filed a uh, you know a, a suit in court uh, about how that selection process went on, and so that process is now on hold. Uh, will be interesting to sort of watch this uh, unfold as to whether or not it will be driven by technology, by politics, or a lot of things in between. Um, GitHub, a company that we're very very interested in because we think they're doing some pretty interesting things, uh, rolled out a new capability called. GitHub CLI, so essentially extending uh, the GitHub capabilities out to your individual machine. Uh, again, sort of extending all the different ways that they're going to interact with developers. So that moves into beta. And the last thing, uh, just kind of a heads up for people. I know a lot of the people who listen to the show at some point are attending events uh, around the world. Uh, we are beginning to see uh, the effects of the coronavirus starting to have some impact on some of the major events. Uh, as we may have noted last week, the Mobile World Congress event, one of the largest in the world, uh, was canceled. Uh, typically is in Barcelona, was canceled. 
Uh, we are beginning to see, you know, a few of the events in Asia uh, be canceled, uh, where people are traveling to there. Um, and then, you know, kind of a heads up for people, if you are attending an event, just be very, very cautious about uh, reading the cancellation policies, both for your tickets for the event, as well as any sort of, uh, you know, travel and expense that goes along with that, whether those are airline tickets or hotels and so forth. I'm not trying to make any prognostications about, you know, how events uh, around the world will continue. But uh, as we do begin to see the, the coronavirus uh, spread and, and grow, unfortunately, um, that will have some impacts as to whether or not events continue to happen, whether people are concerned about the events. So just kind of protect yourself and make sure you understand any cancellation policies and anything that may affect uh, your ability to either travel, uh, travel safely, or potentially get reimbursed if those events don't happen. So with that, we're going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. Uh, as we mentioned, a couple of different things. Uh, I think we're very excited about the next uh, conversation we're going to have. We'd love to dive into not only databases, but also uh, some other interesting scalable technologies around those. So with that, we are going to talk about scalable databases right after the break. Today's Cloudcast is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring service that provides comprehensive visibility into cloud, hybrid, and multi-cloud environments with over 350 integrations. Datadog unifies your metrics, logs, and distributed request traces in one platform so that you can investigate and troubleshoot issues across every layer of your stack. Use Datadog's rich, customizable dashboards and algorithmic alerts to ensure redundancy across multi-cloud deployments and monitor cloud migrations in real time. Try Datadog for yourself with a free trial and you receive a complimentary t-shirt. That 14-day trial can be found just by going to datadog.com cloudcast. That's datadog.com cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, as you know, uh, if you've been listening to the show for a little while, one of the topics uh, that we really love to dive into all the time is uh, kind of the breadth of database technologies that are out there and the, the huge amount of innovation that's happening in this space. And then, obviously, if we get a chance to talk about uh, things that are near and dear to my heart, like Kubernetes, and we can combine those things together, that is always kind of a, a great uh, combination for an interesting so. So very, very excited today to have Peter Mattis, who is the co-founder and CEO of Cockroach Labs. Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here. I'm actually only the CTO, not the CEO. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I have that in my notes and I just read completely over it. So, uh, but co-founder and CTO, uh, not only Cockroach Labs, but also kind of the, the inventor of the Cockroach uh, database. Um, for folks that may not be familiar with, with your work uh, or some of the things that you've done, give us a little brief um, uh, you know, kind of introduction to some of the work you've done in the past around distributed systems and, and what's gotten you kind of really passionate about this space. Yeah. So I started off, I, I joined Google a long, long time ago, back in 2002. And when I first got there, they were working on an internal project uh, to provide search around email that eventually evolved into being Gmail. So I was involved in Gmail very, very early on, wow. um, helping design and implement the backend search and storage system for Gmail. Uh, so that was super fun. Working on Gmail got me intimately involved in the distributed file system Google had internally um, called GFS. That was the, the first version of their distributed file system. And at some point, they started working on a second version, and I became you know, one of the key contributors early on to the design of that second uh, generation distributed file system called Colossus, which is still in use throughout Google. Um, I think it underpins all data storage at Google nowadays. Um, and during that time, you know, uh, working on classes, there's also some sister projects. I worked with the Big Table team, which is one of the you know Big Tables, uh, kind of a one of the early NoSQL systems. It's only available internally inside Google, um, and. Bigtable is actually used by Colossus, 
but Bigtable also runs on the Colossus. And that kind of weird chicken egg scenario of how that worked was actually uh, my doing, which is uh, I look back at it both in with a measure of pride and measure of shame that I managed to make that kind of monstrosity <laughs> possible. Yeah. Um, and I was also right, sister team uh, working on Colossus is right next door to Span the Spanner team. So I saw Spanner, which is Google's distributed SQL database um, being built. And I, I saw a lot of the reasons why that was happening. Um, Around that time, I I left Google and went on and eventually landed. Uh, you know, did did a startup in between, landed at Square, um, and saw some of the challenges they were having with big data there. Yeah, no, that is a that's a fantastic uh, set of work that you've been on, and it, it's always cool to to get to to meet people that work on things that you just unfortunately sort of take for granted every day, right? We get to take advantage of, of Gmail and all the wonderful things that Google does. So, um, very very cool. Like I mentioned in the intro, we're gonna we're gonna kind of mash together a couple of complicated topics, um, but are becoming very popular, both um, people needing to manage not only large amounts of data, but distributed data, as well as Kubernetes. Why don't we start with the, the data side of things? Um, give us some background on CockroachDB, your creation, and you know, kind of some of the things that drove you to want to create it, to, as well as the project around it. Yeah, so CockroachDB, the one-liner is it's a geo-distributed, horizontally scalable SQL database. Uh, so let me unpack why we created it in the first place. So when we left Google, my, myself and my co-founders, we kind of were looking at the, the data landscape out there and what we wanted to build on top of. And we were looking at the SQL databases, the kind of legacy monolithic SQL databases. And those are super popular. People love using them. And the reason application developers love using them is because they generally work really well. Yep except if you get to a certain scale and you get to a certain scale and then you have to shard and sharding means, you know, you make multiple copies of your database and you take care to arrange your data so that, you know, your, your application itself is sharded. And it knows which shard to talk to you. If you ever have to do anything cross shards, it's very, very painful. And we saw that pain played out at Google over and over. We saw it played out when we got to square and they were trying to shard their MySQL database. Um, pretty much every successful technology startup deals with the, this sharding problem. It right. puts a huge amount of burden on the application developers. Down on the other side of the database spectrum, there's all these NoSQL systems. And the NoSQL systems were like, hey, we're going to eschew all that kind of wonderfulness that makes developing applications wonderful, but we're going to give you horizontal scalability. And they generally kind of achieved it, though they threw out, you know, indexes, transactions, you know, all, all sorts of the, the, the nice declarative SQL language. And so they kind of achieved their goal, but they also placed a huge burden on application developers. And I've seen numerous times applications reinventing transactions at the application level. We thought that was absolutely the wrong place to do it. So what we tried to achieve with CockroachDB is a little the best of both of both worlds, horizontal scalability like you see in a NoSQL system, uh, along with the transactions, the indexes, the the rich query language that you find in a SQL database. Yeah, interesting. You're 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 taking the trade offs that a lot of the other ones sort of chose to make, and you're like you said, you're you're kind of getting rid of them. Um, you know, given given the scale uh, that people will eventually get to, right? Maybe you don't have it initially, but you'll eventually get to. Are you finding that? Um, more and more people are are foregoing some of the, like you said, sort of the traditional SQL databases and starting with Cockroach um, and saying, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't have to worry about that thing down the road. Is that kind of the mindset or do you find certain use cases are more applicable um, to Cockroach as a starting point? Well, that's absolutely the mindset we want people to have. I mean, we designed Cockroach, you know, our, the, our flippant remark when we were starting off is we wanted to build a database that we would use at our next startup. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's ever going to be a next startup for me after this, um, but CockroachDB, I think, is fulfilling that. There's no reason you would need to get started on a legacy SQL database now. Um, it solves all these problems, even at a small scale, of providing uh, reliability and availability. 
And even if you're a small startup and you have relatively modest data needs, you still might want to configure stuff so that you can survive a you know AWS region failure, for example. And doing that setup with something like Postgres or MySQL is painful. Um, with Cockroach, it kind of just comes out of the box and it's, it's super easy. When you actually do start to want to, to scale up and you need to get larger than a single Postgres or MySQL instance, you know, CockroachDB just smoothly scales up with you. Yeah, it makes makes a ton of sense. And uh, it's, it's nice to know you sort of have future proofing built in. Um, you know, we, we also mentioned in the, in the introduction, we were going to hit on Kubernetes. And what's interesting, and in, in I've been around the Kubernetes community now for four or five years. I know you've been around it for you know, partially from Google days and now these days, you know, when it got started, it was, you know, mostly focused on, you know, scalable stateless applications, uh, you know, building new things. We're seeing this trend more and more around how do I bring stateful applications and the databases to Kubernetes? What are some of the things that you're seeing, um, you know, as, as you're intimately involved with this, that's driving that, that trend towards more uh, just broader use cases to Kubernetes? Well, I, I think the major one is people are just realizing how wonderful it is to manage your application in Kubernetes versus doing it outside of it. In Kubernetes, you know, don't get me wrong, it's super complex, but what's more complex is not having Kubernetes there and having to do that all manually. And, you know, as soon as people start getting exposure to running their stateless service in Kubernetes, they're like, well, I want to do this for my database. I want to do this for my other, you know, data storage systems. And trying to make sure that those things worked well within Kubernetes has been the, you know, the challenge of the last couple of years. Uh, stateful sets or something that's been in development for a long period of time, then, you know, we actually had some input into what was being built there because we were one of the early uh, databases trying to get working on Kubernetes. Mm. Yeah. W one of the things that we've seen emerge, um, you know, Kubernetes by itself wasn't terribly application aware. Uh, we've seen this uh, this trend around, you know, starting with the operator framework that CoreOS initiated. Uh, we've seen, you know, operators and community operators grow. Um, is that a capability, the you know Kubernetes operators that's you know that you're involved with that that you know Cockroach uh, has a an operator that's out on operatorhub.io today. Are you finding that technology is helpful in not only making it easier to deploy the databases but bring some lifecycle management to it, or is there yeah. still a lot of work it, that needs to be done? I mean, it's certainly, uh, I, I can't speak to you directly about what needs to be done for the operator framework. Mm -hmm. We are actually actively putting efforts into improving our operator. Mm -hmm. um, certainly helps with lifecycle management. So we, we very early on, it's interesting, like Kubernetes and Cockroach kind of came into existence around the same time. Yeah. We didn't actually know that Kubernetes was going to spring out of Google at that time. I, I came from, you know, having used Borg extensively inside Google as a user, and it was just wonderful not having to worry about machines and all that orchestration. And then we got outside of Google and we're like, oh, this kind of stinks. Well, you know what we're going to do, because we don't have Borg here for us to, to orchestrate our systems, we're going to just make it so CockroachDB is super easy to use. And we, we generally kind of achieved that design goal. There's a single binary you know, that, that single binary can adopt multiple roles, but you don't have to worry about orchestrating separate systems and whatnot. That's one of the reasons Cockroach works really well inside Kubernetes, is it's so easy to administer outside of Kubernetes. Gotcha. gotcha. And yet, there's, there's still needs that, you know, there's still operations, administrative operations you want to do um, with Kubernetes uh, and and Cockroach, such as, you know, taking a node out of service and replacing it or growing a cluster and whatnot. And right now it's like pretty easy to grow a Cockroach DB cluster. You just add another node onto the cluster, but the operator just makes that even more turnkey where you're just doing this edit cluster operation, say, add another node or, you know, take down, you know, take down this node and replace it with a more powerful node. Yeah. And those things are all kind of, you know, possible and straightforward to do with Cockroach, but it still requires kind of more administrative effort than you'd really desire. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I think you highlighted something that, which is always interesting. Um, you know, timing is always an important factor in technology. And like you said, cockroach sort of came along when Kubernetes came along. So the lessons that the Kubernetes community has been learning, I assume you've had input, you know, because it's open source to helping with, but also it probably shapes a little bit of, of how you've built the product, like you said, for ease of use, ease of deployment, ease of administration. Um, is that are you seeing that as the case, or are they just sort of running in parallel and, and you know, the timing has worked out really well? Well, I mean, there certainly was a bit of running in parallel early on, but, you know, I, I'm actually kind of shocked. When we started Cockroach Labs five years ago, we we're getting started with Cockroach DB, you know, Kubernetes was even known. And we're like, oh, what are going to be like the major deployment, you know, scenarios for Cockroach DB? And we're thinking about them. And then like two years down the line, Kubernetes coming off, we start paying attention to it. I don't actually know what the number is right now, but the majority of our clusters, um, CockroachDB clusters, they're deployed on Kubernetes. Interesting. Um, and, 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 and so we take advantage of that. You know, we yeah. go and you know improve our operator, make the experience um, smoother. Um, our Cockroach Cloud service that we offer CockroachDB as a, a service, we're running that. Those um, Cockroach clusters, they're running on Kubernetes because we found Kubernetes to be the easiest way to manage the clusters ourselves. And part of that is, you know, also the thing, one of these, awesome things that Kubernetes provides is this abstraction away from the cl specific cloud, you know, idiosyncrasies and it doesn't completely do it, but it does it to such a degree that when I talk to that cockroach cloud team, they're just like, yeah, as soon as we get the Kubernetes bits running in there, it's great. The, the, the challenge is, you know, dealing with all the stuff that's outside of Kubernetes for these right. various like kind of, uh, you know, different cloud systems. Right. Well, and I, and I can imagine, I mean, you, you talk about the, the Kubernetes abstraction, that's obviously very powerful. It lets Kubernetes run fairly consistently anywhere it runs, you know, on-premises in the public cloud. And then the nice thing about operators for people that are maybe new to this is operators in essence say, let's take the, the best of, uh, you know, the day one and day two of that application. So all the smarts that um, your team knows, you can build around that operator. And the nice thing is, now that operator is going to run exactly the same no matter which Kubernetes it's in. So it's you get yep. sort of portability plus consistency. It's a it's a powerful combination. Agreed. Yeah. Um, real quick, like as as you uh, as Cockroach has grown up, kind of like you said in parallel with Kubernetes, but you're seeing it you know used more and more frequently. What are some of the lessons that that you've learned or some of your customers have learned about uh, running you know stateful and scalable uh, SQL on Kubernetes? <sighs> Let me think about this. I mean, kind of the lesson I've, I'm seeing develop over time is that people want to be abstracted away from machines more yeah, and more. Right. And cloud systems did this, you know, um, the cloud did this initially. When was the last time you actually saw a machine in a data center? I've seen pictures of them, but I haven't been near those in <laughs> right. you know, a decade. And I, I feel like Kubernetes is taking this a step further, abstracting us away from the machines. And I just see this continuing. Um, so this isn't so much like an active lesson that customers are coming up saying like, oh, I'm so glad you abstracted us away from you know the, the machine or the node. This is where I see like kind of the industry going, you know even like almost beyond Kubernetes where I can just start thinking about like, oh, I just want services in the cloud and I want services in this region, that region. Eh, you know, the details about it being a node, we'll leave that to some SRE team to figure out. Um, I can see that that is where the future is going. And Kubernetes is a, a big leg up in, in helping helping get there. Yeah. And, and do you find uh, on the on the SQL side of things that, you know, people with, with SQL skills from, from say, having worked with other SQL databases, it just, just sort of naturally transfers over? Or is there there's still some amount of learning curve to understand it at that scale that it can scale to? Well, 
it kind of it depends when you're just doing a cockroach db within a single data center or even within a single kind of nearby geographic region the latencies are small enough that they can mostly just you know you can ignore the distribution aspect of it and your your kind of normal sql um uh, design skills translate directly over uh, the challenge that uh we have you can't ignore geographic latencies they're just unavoidable and we still need to give people um, more kind of guidance on how to be designing schemas in for geographic replication. How do you want to partition your data? How do you want to replicate your data? Just making it more obvious. We've given people all these um, kind of low-level tools to do it, so you can do you know very advanced geographic you know database designs. But we're not giving you enough guardrails. So I kind of see this similar to the way you know Kubernetes has evolved, where you know initially before the operators, you had all the tools to you know manage your your applications, but there's just a little bit of a pain, and now things are becoming more and more user friendly. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think what you're highlighting is is really just the evolution we've seen with its. Uh, you know, the first is, hey, this is amazing that this capability is possible. And then the next thing is, okay, now I get sophisticated about how to use it. And then you realize like, okay, now that I have that level of sophistication or expertise, uh, what does it mean in this new context, right? It's it's abstracted, it's scalable geographically. It's, you know, stuff that you was impo either impossible to do or complicated to do now becomes built in. And then you start to ask yourself like, okay, what else can I do? So yeah, it's it's very interesting that, that, you're, that you're seeing that uh, evolution the way you are. Um, you know, the other thing I, I see that the database companies have have tried to do, and you highlighted as well, is you not only have to provide a, a really rich open source community, you provide a commercial product for customers that want a, a commercial piece of software, and then you also have to provide them a, an on-demand service that, that, you know, for those that say, I want it, but I don't want to run it. Um, I, I, I imagine th that level of experience that you're getting from running the service comes back into the into the software product in the community as well. Oh, absolutely. It's wonderful to get that experience. Um, we And we and I, I just see this as a general trend in the industry, yeah. and I'm not the first to identify this. We just want to consume everything as a service. Right. No one runs their own email server. No one runs their own you know servers at all anymore. Even more than that, they don't want to run their own database. They don't want to run their own analytics system. All this stuff is becoming uh, services because that just it takes away this you know huge burden. I still have to know how to be a developer for a database, but I don't know, have to know how to be an administrator for it as well. Yeah, very, very cool. Peter, uh, I want to be conscious of your time. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, thank you so much for the insight uh, teaching us about CockroachDB, uh, bringing your expertise to this distributed space. Folks, uh, I will put all the things in the show notes, the ways that you can uh, reach out to Cockroach, uh, you know, take a look at their service, take a look at the upstream project. Peter, again, thank you so much for the time. And folks, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for telling a friend. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.